Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com. Welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, yes, indeed, um, it is our goal to make a difference uh, this Saturday and and every Saturday that we are live on the air as well as the archives. And um, so I want to welcome everyone today to this uh, show in December, uh, excuse me, in November. and we have a, a very unique show in that it's a concept show today. We have three guests addressing um, a, a very um, timely topic, uh, the topic of how do we deal with the aftermath of um, mass shootings. There just seems to be a proliferation of this happening, and it's a very it's it's a very scary thing to me as a homicide survivor because it just increases my vulnerability and I think um, to the public in general. So we're going to be going at it from three different perspectives. One from the religious aspect, we have a religious leader, we have a guest from law enforcement, and we have a guest for, uh, who specializes in tr- trauma and counseling um, and we're going to try to answer some thematic questions as well as cover, cover other topics. But before we do, I want to welcome Delilah. Good morning. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been on the air together. I missed you. I'm glad that we're back together. Well, good morning. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, this is a, a different type of show than what we've put on in the past. And I'm just going to quickly introduce and tell the audience a little bit about each of our guests and then um, you can go ahead and get into the show and and into the discussion Um, first. And this is in no particular order guys. So I'm just shooting it out there. (laughs) Uh, We have, and if there's anything that I'm saying wrong, you can correct me, please. Uh, Lieutenant Peter Sestere from the Horry County, South Carolina Police Department, uh, formerly from NYPD, 
Um, he has been around us for quite some time, works very closely with Q Center for the Missing Persons and our community here in, in Horry County. Um, Dwayne Bowers, who is seems like every other month he's back with us, which is a good thing. <laughs> and Dwayne is a licensed professional counselor. He's a clinical hypnotherapist, or a Reiki master. And we're always happy to have him back. And he's he's taught us many things over the years. And with that knowledge is power. And our third guest is Charles Moncrief, who I've known for a long, long time and totally, totally get a kick out of him as well as respect all the things that he's doing Um Charles is a priest in the Anglican Church, but he's also a chaplain, and I'll, I'll let him go into what that means. But he is chaplain to business community and the and the community at large. Anyone who needs help, he's there to do it. He's a, a strong advocate for a lot of different issues, and with his kindness and compassion, um, that equals greatness in my book. So welcome yeah, I, to all of you, and I'll let Donna lead the way from here. Absolutely. Thank you, Delilah. I think those were, were excellent introductions. And I have to say, I think Dwayne and I, maybe this is maybe our 10th show or something like that, and we're about five and three-quarter years into this, Delilah, so that's a lot of shows. So I guess we could almost call him a a co-host. So welcome uh, each and every one of you. It's been many weeks in the planning for this show, and I know it's going to be very valuable. Um, as as I I said to, to you off air um, and on air, I think this is a concept show that people are just rocked with emotion with regard to the uh, increasing frequency of of how people tend to solve their problems now with um, with violence, and it's just, it, it scares the heck out of me um, that this is becoming more and more frequent. So what better way to, to try to discuss this um, than to have three different perspectives? And uh, irrespective of our personal feelings, we're going to go at it from these, these three different areas. Um, and we can kind of take turns. I have a couple of... Um, different questions I want to address. But before we do, I just want to tell our audience that I, I happened upon a very, very good article from the Washington Post to I compiled some data. And, and um, if you want to reference it, it was updated on November 15th. And it's called The Mass of Mass Shootings. And they took a look at the, the most deadly sh- uh, mass shootings over a 50-year period. And it happened to start uh, 50 years ago with the, uh, and it included 146 events. And how they 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 defined an event was if four or more people were killed. And it happened to go back to 1966 with the killing from Charles Whitman, um, who was the the man who shot his mother and his wife and then went into the tower at the University of Texas and he he killed about 14 people there and suffice it to say that over a period of time in 50 years there has been 1,048 victims 
um, as they define it, with 202 guns used. Um, and um, there had been 149 shooters over that period of time, mostly male, age 20 to 49. And um, the, the, the one event that had the most guns used was very recently in the Las Vegas Music Festival in which that sh- perpetrator had 23 guns. And most of them were obtained legally, 168, whereas 48 were not. So with that framework, 1,048 victims in the deadliest. And if you go to this article, you can hover over the article and and you can learn about each and every victim as well as each and every gun, as well as the 149 shooters. They, They will tell you something about them. So it's a very comprehensive article. So with that framework... Um, gentlemen um, and lady, I wanted to ask you um, a couple of questions that that we'll, we'll choose to 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 frame the show. And um, historically, we each of our professions, each of your professions, have looked upon mass shootings in a particular way. So I would like to start with the idea that can you can you tell us um, from your profession, how have mass shootings been dealt with um, historically up until up until recently, maybe the last year or two? I think uh, you know the whole landscape has changed, so I'd like to get get into that with regard to um, each of your professions so um, who would who would like to take the first uh, the first, uh, I was going to say shot or stab at it, that's probably a bad choice of words, but who would like to start with regard to giving us a historical perspective um, in terms of how your profession has dealt with this? Anybody want to take the first shot? Uh, this is Peter. Well, I can... Okay, Peter. Um, I, I think that we've seen um, to some degree, an increase in mass shootings, um, although this is something that has historically been around um, probably since we first landed on this continent. But um, I, I think the the advent of news media has definitely um, raised a, a, a significant awareness about what's going on. These seem to be the topics all of a sudden of of the headline news and and um, almost to a standpoint where in some cases I feel like they're being glorified and I you know I see that as a problem. Definitely, definitely. So the media has has um, sort of increased the ante and it's in it's in the forefront all the time. Um, you know, irrespective of, of other important news. Um, what what would uh, what would you have to say with regard to how it's being perceived now from the law enforcement community, Peter? Is there there are different ways of dealing with it as opposed to the approaches that you may have taken in the past? It has brought about a significant change in the law enforcement community as far as how we respond to these acts and how we train for them. Um, 
I've been in law enforcement now for close to 37 years, and and um, in that time, our training has evolved dramatically as you know as to what we do and 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 how we respond. I, I think that law enforcement is you know is constantly under scrutiny as far as you know what's being done and 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 how they respond to it. And I know it's a changing you know no two incidents are the same, you know no two. There's no systematic way of, of of predicting or approaching these things. So they have to be dealt with on a one-by-one basis based on what the scenario is encompassing the incident. And, and that's difficult to prepare for. Absolutely. It must be a, a very big challenge. And just by having a guest on with regard to act, active uh, shooting trainings and, and being prepared, we had a very good good show from a model program with regard to uh, the training 911 dispatchers for um, the South Carolina has a model program now. It's just got to be in the forefront of all law, law enforcement's minds, I would imagine, right? It, it is, and, and, you know, and of course, it, you know, with, with, a, with a dramatic awareness to it, you know, you, you become more, um, more adept to the, to the surroundings and, and the possibility that it can happen at any given moment in any given place. Yeah, so we're, we're totally, you know, on, on guard all of the time, and that's, that's very disconcerting. From the... Um, I guess you would say from the um, emotional, psychological standpoint, Dwayne, um, can you jump in here and and, and um, add some comments with regard to what what you have seen over over time in your practice? I know you've dealt with many many people uh, who have gone through trauma, but with these mass shootings, has it been a game changer with your practice and and other? you know, seminars that you've done and conferences that you, you have presented at? Absolutely. And I, and I want to reflect some of the things uh, on some of the things that Peter said, because I'm, I'm right there with him. I think one of the big changes is that 50 years ago, we didn't have the media that we do now. And 50 years ago, we didn't have news stations. And so what we have now are these stations that that's all they do is news. And so once a story breaks, they are in it and there and showing us what's happening step by step by step so that people are feeling more, more, more part, part, like they're participating in some way, that they're seeing it. And, and not only that, but then we have um, these, the, the devices that we carry so that um, when something happens, if somebody's there, they can actually film it as it is happening. And so I think our exposure to, to violence and to these kinds of mass shootings is definitely affecting the way that people are responding to them. Um, it's not, it, I, this is an aside, but it's along the same thing. You know, <clears throat> the mental health world changed its um, diagnosis of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, back in 2012 to specifically eliminate um, viewing an event on electronic media. In other words, if your only exposure to an event is electronic media, then you do not qualify for a diagnosis of PTSD. The idea being that 
if you don't turn it off, there's a different mental health issue than PTSD. It's there's something else going on that doesn't allow you to turn it off. You're watching it over and over and over again. And of course, that came after 9/11. But mm-hmm. but I agree with him 100%. That the exposure that we have to it is significant and significantly different. What the, the two key elements of trauma is are um, that I, I don't feel safe and that I don't feel I'm in control of, of my life or, or my environment. And certainly these situations, particularly when you have churches and schools and places that people are in, in their lives, um, uh, that suddenly I don't have control anymore. I don't, I, I'm not safe wherever I go anymore. And I think more and more we're seeing people's um, responses to this. Certainly there was a study done uh, recently uh, up, up and down the East Coast of mental health professionals asking um, what changes have you seen? And everyone on the East Coast said that uh, a diagnosis of anxiety has has just skyrocketed over the last few months as people just get more and more anxious about um, uh, seeing violence on TV, seeing so much violence, and and fearing that it could happen to them. Yeah. Wow. I agree. Char- yeah. mm-hmm. Charles. Uh, can can you uh, um, add a comment with regard to uh, you know uh, an overview of how people in the religious community uh, prior to um, these most recent shootings over the months uh, how how have you um, dealt dealt with it from a religious perspective and what changes are you seeing? Well, I'd like to start with the changes I'm seeing. Okay. And the thing. That, the thing that I really appreciated was the comment that these violent acts have always been there. They're just being reported a lot more. And maybe that's totally true. Maybe that's just true in the majority of the situations. But the fact that it's becoming so much more out there and so much more in your face, I think that's causing a lot of the spiritual anxiety as well as the uh, the emotional anxiety. And what I noticed, and it's, I can't say this without it sounding either uh, humorous or maybe even a little bit contemptuous, but suddenly after 9-11, people went to church. They couldn't have cared less about uh, that aspect of their lives until all of a sudden they lost a sense of uh, a sense of things being all right, things being pretty much under control. And what I see, though, is that we're looking at a transition in America, maybe even in the world, um, from a, a movement of piety, that is your relationship with God, to more of a movement toward social justice as your very first principle and that God will feel worshipped if you are thinking and talking social justice. And back in, I'm looking at 150 years, where people had a very um, elementary or, um, I don't want to say childlike view, but maybe not quite as developed or as complex, in which they saw God as refuge, 
or they saw sin as a betrayal of God. Or they saw maybe God would withdraw his hand of protection. Nowadays, we see a church service being brought up spontaneously to where a whole crowd of people come in and they ask God to forgive them for being racist after this shooting that involves a a group of African Americans being shot by a mass shooter who is white. I'm not saying any of this is right, and I'm not saying it's wrong to have such a such a perspective. But what I'm kind of wondering is are we are we seeing something that's being played played by society or played by society's leaders or are we actually seeing people raising honest questions about where is the church really what is the church doing for god's people what is and if i say church i want to speak loosely about that because the same applies to the jewish temples the same applies to the um, well, the religion of peace, the same applies to Buddhism and right. all of these different religions. So I'm going to stop there. Okay. I, I think that's very interesting that, you know, we, we, like you say, we've made a, a, a sort of a, a, a path toward social justice versus a personal connection with God with all of these Incidents and all of the things that bring up political correctness and asking God for forgiveness and all of that. So definitely changing the landscape there. I think I think you're you're perfectly true. Does anyone have any other um, uh, afterthoughts um, on on their initial co- uh, comments after that? Um, after all three of you have kind of weighed in. To the general overview, or should we maybe go on to the go on to the next aspect? I, I want to give people an opportunity here. Um, this is Peter. I, I would like to jump back in and and just go ahead. Touch on something that that I, I think the three of us kind of um, uh, spoke about a little bit. We live in a different world today. We live in a world that has cameras all over the place. We live in a world where people carry a camera with them all the time. And what we're seeing is more and more of these videos from cell phones and from street corner cameras and building surveillance systems and so forth is more and more coming into um, our daily media. And and as was touched on before, you know, back in, back in the, in the fifties and sixties, when I grew up, you're right. There was only, you know, a, a news, station every you know for 30 minutes you know maybe two times during the day now you've got um, 24-hour news stations on and they're jumping at the opportunity to run and and get the, you know the next stream of violence on the air and and the, you know they're calling them they're giving them names for 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 each of the things almost like we name hurricanes and storms and so forth so it's almost like these are new storms that are that are permeating our 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 video. Um, so mass media is is, is definitely um, something that's fueling behind this. Um, and people sit back and and 
you know, and, and as was touched on with PTSD and all, and, and I'm very familiar with that as well. I, I, I'm I'm also a gun violence victim um, and, and and survivor. I, I've been shot twice in the line of duty, um, so so I know from the other side of it, you know, what it feels like to be a victim, and 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 I know about those, you know, helpless and hopeless feelings, and and you know, and what uh, and what carries us. But it, but it's true. We're we're seeing a lot more. People are becoming um, patients, you know, for the mental health issues simply because of what they're witnessing on on TV, and not so much what they're witnessing as a as a victim or survivor of the of the incident itself. Yeah, it's oh, I don't know if the correct term, Dwayne, would be well revictimization or a vicarious victim or something like, you know, if you're constantly online and looking at Facebook all the time and looking at Twitter and all of that, I mean, you just, you know, the tolerance level for me looking at all of that, I I just, I just cannot. Um, So I I really think it's, it's doing damage. It, It truly, truly is. I'm wondering if we can get into the, one of the main thrusts that I'm wondering about, and I just hate to, I just hate to broach this in a way, but it, it may be a reality. Do, do you b- believe that what we are witnessing is what we would call a, a new normal um, in our society? And if we are, why or why not? I would like each of you to, 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 broach, to broach this question because I think it's very important. Who would, who would like to take that? Take that? I could start. Okay. Charles? The first thing is, are we looking at something that made a quantum jump? Or are we looking at something that's following a 200, 300, or 500-year trend line? That's one of the questions I found myself asking, whether or not it's fluid. The second thing I would ask is, are we looking at a steadily declining society, a trend line that is going down from left to right or from historical to future? Or are we looking at something that is, uh, oh, I could say sinusoidal, but I don't know what word would be good. Do you have a better word? Cyclical, maybe. Cyclical? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and if I don't know. Cyclical, if mm-hmm. it is cyclical, is it cyclical around a downward trend or a flat trend? Because we have history. To, we can look at history and we can say, see these events in history over hundreds of years, and did not something happen that would cause a reversal? We could look at slavery in Egypt, and we could look at Moses and we could look at a new covenant being, being accomplished. That's an example. We can mm-hmm. look at uh, centuries of enslavement during the first thousand years uh, A.D. or C.E., and we could look at major events in history that caused a modification, a change. And so I'm wondering... Because I'm coming from the religious perspective, I'm wondering if maybe I can say God acts in history and does happen 
he does show up to bring things about. And I don't know, I don't have anything totally and fully formed about that. I'm right, but I think it's very it as, interesting perspective that maybe this is cyclical. If you look at history from, you know, time immemorial, I mean, I don't know, maybe that is a source to say if we can just get through this time span of whatever it is, then things will be better. I I mean, I like that perspective, Charles. I don't know if that's something for us to hang on to. Um, who else has with some one ideas? Change. Go ahead. With one change. It is not something to be survived. It is something to take action with. And that would be in a later question you may ask. So I'm okay. going to leave it at that. Okay. The interesting perspective. Um, who else would like to address this new normal question? Uh, Dwayne? This, yeah, this is Dwayne. Um, I, I think when we think in terms of new normal, we can't just look at these events, but we have to look at the things that we've been talking about. We have a new normal where we all have cameras. We have a new normal where, um, and, and I'm not trying to be political, but where the idea of guns isn't anymore just you're on the farm and you have a gun to shoot a rattler, but, but there's more access to guns. We're in a, an environment where um, violence is um, uh, on, a, on a global uh, scale with terrorism and, and that sort of thing, which we, we didn't have um, perhaps as much knowledge about. The other thing I want to say about media is, and I'm, I'm not making an, a judgment statement, I'm just saying 50 years ago you had your Walter Cronkites and, and, and those folks who gave you a perspective but they didn't tell you how to think about things. And now when you, you choose the, the TV station that you agree with, and they analyze things to the point of telling you how you're supposed to think about this and how you're supposed to respond to this. And I'm, I, I think that has a significant um, role in the way that people perceive events as well. So you got to look at all of that, not just the, the events that are, 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 are horrific, but you have to look at all of the changes that have happened. If you took away the events, all these other things would still be here. And so there is a new normal. It's, it's, it includes um, these kinds of events with mass shootings, but but those are not that's not all that makes up the new normal uh, and and not all that there is in that new normal in other words there's a whole secondary and tertiary um level of of things that make that so obvious today and 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 cause it to be um uh, sort of uh in our face as as peter was saying so these new, uh, so you're also referring to like all these cultural changes and uh, mm -hmm. political changes and all of those. So all of those things together with these events may equal a new normal. And if it makes us feel better to cherry pick certain parts of our new normal society to focus on and try to or at least, uh, you know, avoid the others or not affect change in those things that make us feel most uncomfortable. I mean, 
we have to, we're part of society and society is ever changing no so we either go along with society or we kind of roll up in the fetal position at the other extreme and we can't do i get i guess we can't do that right so mm-hmm. new normal could be good as well but we also are you saying Dwayne that we also have to accept the bad with the good well i'm just saying we have to shift um, our perspective, if, when normal changes, we have to shift our perspective and come up with maybe even new coping skills, new strategies, whatever, to deal with the bad that comes with this new normal, as well as being able to accept what might be good in that new normal. And I want to add, um, um, uh, listening to Charles, I think faith is one of the things that is a continuum that people continually grasp onto to give them a sense of hope, to give them a sense of even control and and safety. Yeah, absolutely. And I would think maybe people who are don't have as much formalized faith or, or religion, maybe maybe the the numbers of people who are going to church are, are going to be ever, and on the one hand, ever increasing because they need that as a structure, but then on the other hand, oh, I'm not safe going into the, the house of God because shooters have gone there, so can it work both ways? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate here. People need their faith because of all this violence or they're, they're wanting to establish a faith. But then on the other hand, how do we know when we walk out of our, our homes today that when we go down the, down the street into the store that there's not going to be somebody there? So I don't know. It's, it's just all so chaotic. I, um, I I think I think what faith does for us. I'm kind of going to leave this more for um, um, Peter, but um, I'm sorry, Charles. But um, I think what faith does for us is it, it allows us to walk out the front door. It says, okay. you know, we use our faith to say, you know what, uh, my God, whatever I call that, is with me, and. Um, I, I cannot allow all this negativity to affect the way I live. I have to make a choice. Am I going to live with my faith that God is with me, or am I going to live by my fear that um, every time I walk out the door, I'm, I'm going to um, be a victim? And, and so I think this is, again, where faith comes in for us. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. So your faith has to trump your – to override your, your fear. Peter, from mm-hmm. the – from the law enforcement standpoint, um, are you are you thinking the way you approach your your, your daily duties? Um, it, is it a mindset when you go to work now that this is just this is from your perspective, your professional perspective that that this is a, what what would you characterize this as a new normal and how does that how does that impact now versus how you used to? take care of business, so to speak. I, I don't think that, that we're seeing a new normal. Um, I think we're just more in tune to what's going on, again, and that's, you know, media-driven. But okay. uh, I, I, I do think that there are a lot of things in our society today that have changed and increased the number of acts that we're seeing. Uh, obviously, Guns are, are very easy to obtain. Um, every law, every state has a different law. The, the, the federal government has different laws. Um, 
for instance, if you live in New York, um, New York City, you can't have you can't possess any type of firearm unless you have a, a license to do so. Um, in South Carolina, if you're 18 years old and have a, a driver's license, you can walk into um, a, a pawn shop, into a gun store, and purchase a firearm. Um, there, there's no national registry of who owns firearms and, and how can they be traced and tracked. Um, that's, that's a problem. I, have, I, I, I am a gun advocate. I have no problem with guns in society as long as there are some control measures as to who gets them and, and how they obtain them. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, my problem with guns is is the people is the number of shootings, and when you look back through history, um, the number of guns illegal guns that were in the shooter's possession at the time. Um, you know, we're also seeing, um, or we we are um, dramatizing what our children are playing. If you look at if you look at ninety nine percent of the games that are played on these new PlayStations and then all these other game systems, you know, it's Call to Duty. It's, it's all violence and killing games. And, and I think that's glorifying a lot of what children are seeing, and, 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 and it's definitely affecting how they're growing up in society and what they consider to be new and normal. And, right. And, you know, so so guns are, you know, guns from a standpoint of, of video games, you go into an arcade, there's guns, there's, you know, helicopters with machine guns, there's, there's all kinds of things to glorify what this is. I don't think that people are growing up understanding what the true results or acts of that type of violence are. Yeah, I I think that's a very good point. Do you, just as an aside, do you feel as if um, there should be a national tracking system with regard to um, how how the ga- uh, how the sale of guns and uh, is um, is managed nationally? Well, yeah, there's a there's a national set of laws that determines who can possess a a, a firearm legally. And it's based on, on um, you know, um, pretty much about nine or ten specific characteristics, you know, from um, uh, arrest to to so forth. But one of the keys behind a lot of this is mental health issues are not documented. And if you look at a lot of the um, mass shootings over time. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say close to half of them were attributed to mental health issues. So, without a way to, to adequately track how people get handguns and or, or, or firearms in general and who has firearms, and and you know we track criminal history, but we don't track mental history from a standpoint of somebody who's got a got mental disorders. Can can walk into a gun store and as long as they don't have a criminal history, they can possess right. a firearm. Right. Well, Mr. Bowers, can you can you um, can you comment on that? Is there any kind of of uh, thrust or uh, a movement in in the mental health community to 
to somehow um, have a, a national tracking database, and would would that be sufficient? I, I, I want to, again, dovetail right on what, what uh, Peter was saying, and I would suggest it's much higher than 50%. I think really? uh, significantly uh, more um, of, of the mass shooters have a mental health background. In fact, if you really dig into them, you will find that it's, it's uh, a rare exception that there wasn't some kind of mental health background with, with um, the mass shooters. Um, it, now, and, and so this brings up a controversy, doesn't it? Because mental health has always protected the confidentiality of, of its clients. That is, mm -hmm. is part of what makes a client feel safe to come and deal with their mental health issues. So if we now make that information available uh, for purchase of guns, um, um, now, now you, you destroy that idea of confidentiality, but I hear the argument on the other side as well that absolutely, I believe many of these, most of these events were a result of mental health issues. So how do you stop that? And so I think, again, there's a, a controversy there that, and in answer to your question, no, there is no push in the mental health field to come up with that kind of a registry because it would violate one of our basic principles, which is confidentiality. So mm -hmm. okay. uh, there, there, there's, your, there's your dilemma right there. Well, yeah. the, the other um, aspect, and Delilah, I think you had mentioned this in one of your, your comments in your posts, is that um, intimate partner <clears throat> violence or family violence also had seemed to be a common denominator in almost all the shootings that you looked at. Wasn't that true? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that is a is a core um, root cause of a lot of different crimes, not just mass shooters, but a lot of different types of criminals. Um, and it's not, you know, I, I don't believe heavily in the abuse excuse when it comes to um, going to trial or punishment for your deeds or anything like that. However, I do think it's something that we need to recognize as a community and as a society and especially in law enforcement is when a person is arrested for that first um for that first charge of domestic violence, there will be an escalation in almost a hundred percent of the cases. It will escalate some way down the line and his, you know, his or her family will be affected by it or everyone out here will be vulnerable to that person who was not stopped at that point. Mm -hmm. And, I just I, I just feel that if there was some way, somehow, and I have no answers for it, but if we could stop the escalation of abuse, family abuse of all kind, um, maybe maybe we wouldn't see this. It might, you know, put Dwayne out of business. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> Dwayne would love it. They're here. <laughs> what a great way to go, right? But it's, uh, you know, it's just the escalation of crime that we see. And I think Peter can probably address that from the law enforcement standpoint is that the frustration of, you know, you catch the bad guy, you go to court and charges are dismissed or they're pled down and the person's back out on the street doing something worse. 
Right. I agree. I agree completely. And, I, and, and this is Peter again. And I, and I would like to say, I, I, I'm I'm an advocate of of um, trying to repair people, if you will. Um, speaking of domestic violence and so forth, you know, yeah, when there's a criminal act that occurs, the, the person's arrested um, or hopefully arrested and, and faces a, a judge and, and it may be pled down or, or you know, or, or they may um, be sentenced to serve some time or, or something. But I, I don't think taking somebody like that and putting them in, in jail for um, 30 days or six months or, 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 or a year or 10 years is going to fix the problem. I, I got to go, I got to side with, with Dwayne and Charles. I think it right. becomes a, a, a twofold issue. I think that they need some type of counseling to help them understand why what they did was wrong. And I think they need to have some type of faith to get them through that incident and hopefully rehabilitate them. I don't think the prisons are rehabilitating anyone. I think no. what we need is some type of structured um, mental health and, 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 and religious health to get people back on track to, to what they should be thinking and doing. Well, that's the reason why I had all, all three um, professions on here so that we, you know, typically we, we, we run to law enforcement for the answers and we run to mental health, but that's why I thought it's so important to have Charles on here as well um, as a spokesperson. And to that point, if we're getting, and just to let you know, uh, we, we only have like 15 minutes left of the show and we just kind of scratched the surface unfortunately but with regard to if we're looking at a new nor- new normal however that is defined with mass shootings as a component of that as as awful as that sounds um and and i know this show's mantra is to deal with the aftermath but part of being prepared um for bad or good things in life is is to um, be proactive. So my question to all of you would be, if this is so, would it, however we define a new normal, if it is cyclical or linear, doesn't matter, we're just talking hypothetically, how do we then cope, prepare, and protect from each of your perspectives? If if this is what we got, okay, then what do you advise in, in your realm? And why don't we start with Charles this time with regard to with treating, um, ministering to people in the community or the pulpit or whatever. How do you advise them to cope? How do you advise them to prepare or to protect themselves um, in their relationship with their faith in God? Okay, well, first of all, I almost felt like my entire speech was going to be taken away when I was when I was hearing one of our other guests talking about how we need to walk with God when we step out of the house, and we we need to have a grounding in our faith. I want to build on that if I can. Mm-hmm. One of the things we need to understand is that we are born, we live, we die. Those are realities. And it's not morbid. We all are going to. It's not morbid. It's not defeatist. 
But what we need to do is recognize we are born because we are the effects of a cause. And being, of course, from the religious community, in my industry, we talk about (laughs) an intelligent being who chose to create us and who created us for a purpose other than to watch us squirm. This being created us to be in relationship with us. I think we could look back at the Buddha and we could see the same thing. We could look back at Abraham. We could look back at Moses. We could look back at Moses. We can look back at all of these things and we see a common picture. And that is a source. If you want to call him God, call him God. If you want to call him the, the force that's going to be with you, call him that. I don't really care. But the fact is that from the beginning to the end of our lives, we have that. And one of the platitudes we use is to identify who we are and whose we are. We need to recognize there's no pie in the sky. We live in the here and now. And we have a creator who created us to be something grounded in that relationship. So the direction I'm always going is be honest and be straightforward and don't just, don't just survive, thrive and empower others, empower other people to be the same, to, to be the same as it works out in their lives. And don't go trying to play God. Don't try to be on God's turf and beat yourself up whenever you fail at it. You're looking for results, and you're not responsible for those. You're responsible for obedience. Okay. I, I, I like that. It kind of absolves people, I guess, from, you know, uh, we, we all carry so many burdens every day. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to sort it all out and to say, you know, the, the coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of thing get me um, all the time, and I, I put too much expectation on myself. I know I do that. But we have to kind of give it up give it up to God and, and know that sometimes um, it's, it, it's a more simple equation and maybe not to overthink these things. So um, I, I think what you, there's great importance in what you, you had to say, Charles, and I think that um, we need to have that ultimate faith that when we leave our home that there is that overriding protection, and no matter what, um, we do need to thrive versus just survive because we should not live in a police state. Um, at least that's, that, that's, that's my opinion. Um, can we, um, in the last few minutes, address the topic of, you know, uh, my, my final question that I was posing was, can we truly change the behavior of a few, meaning those perpetrators out there, for the benefit of many, or essentially is, is it... Um, or is our change to be proactive as best we can and just live with the consequences? It seems to be that Charles is saying, no, we can't just survive or live. We have to thrive. And I'm very much 
cut from that cloth. I have a blog called Survive, uh, you know, um, where it talks about the, the changes in, in grief, and you go from basically existing to surviving to truth thriving, and it's kind of like graduating, crossing over to the highest level. Thank God I've done that in 36 years, or else I wouldn't be in a fetal position. So I think we do have to thrive no matter what's going on in our environment. Sometimes it's very difficult. What do, what do all of you think think about that? Can we, can we affect change um, knowing that the media is almost controlling every aspect of our lives to, to make this cultural change so that mass shootings will become less and less? Or do we just kind of live with it and think that it's going to, to cycle out in some way? I mean, I don't know. I'm just posing the question. Who would like to um, try to address that? Um, P- Peter, I'll jump in here for a minute if okay, I can. Okay, Peter. Cool. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think we're going to see it go away in in any of our lifetimes. I think I, I don't want to say we're seeing a new normal because I don't believe it's a new normal, but there will always be some type of violence in, in our society or any society. But I do think that a better awareness, um, um, better education, um, I, I think we need to teach some of the some of our young um, younger generation, our students, and so forth. I think we need to give them some real life issues in school. You know, this, this, and and I'm not I'm not mocking any of the school systems by any means, but they don't teach simple core values. Um, I I can't find one teenager that knows how to balance a checkbook. I can't find one teenager that knows how to read a a, um, um, a health insurance document and understand it. I, we're not teaching the things Independent that, living skills, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, we're not teaching the living skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, mm-hmm. We need to have, um, uh, I think we need to readdress some of our HIPAA and confidentiality laws a, a little bit better to, um, to, to help give us some means of communication among the professions and the disciplines when it pertains to what could potentially become violent and uh, or who could potentially become violent and hurt other members of society. I think we need to share information a little bit better there. Um, I agree, I think, yeah. I, we need to see a lot more from the standpoint of, of parents, and, I'm, and again, I'm not beating up on parents here, but society has changed. When I grew up, one parent was home during the day you know, cleaning the house and cooking meals and taking care of doing a job in the house. Now we're in a society where both parents have to work just to be able to afford that roof over the head. So mm-hmm. kids are coming home from school. There isn't somebody there to start them out on homework, to instill home values and, and family values. Kids are learning what they're learning off of TV shows and off of game systems and you know, we need to have better interaction between parents, teachers, religious figures, and law enforcement. We're not the bad guys. We truly are there to help. Um, right. Uh, unfortunately, all too often, we're, we're portrayed as, as the bad guys. Are there bad police officers in our society? Sure. 
there's bad doctors in the profession. There's bad religious leaders in the profession. There's bad everybody in every profession. We can right. weed them out. I absolutely agree with you. I, I I think if we had, you know, better quality in terms of all of those things, our, our society just become too fast paced, and we're not we're not going back to the basics. Um, Wayne, do you have a comment with regard to this? Sure. Um, you know I always have a comment. Um, <laughs> I, I think that your, your larger question was, uh, do we, are, are we able to change the individuals uh, for, uh, to, to, to the better of all? Um, no, absolutely. I, I agree with Peter 100%. You're always going to have someone who spins out of, of, of the norm and, and affects other people's lives. That's always going to happen. Can you affect them? Yeah. Um, I don't mean to go down this path, but most mental health provision is done through an insurance company, and if they don't have insurance, then they don't get mental health support. Um, if we had uh, the availability of mental health support to everybody so that it didn't run out when you lost your job or it didn't run out when you ran out of money or whatever so that folks could be given more comprehensive support, I think that would help the individual. But I think the bigger task here is helping the, the larger society learn coping skills that will help them to feel like they have more power and that they have more control and, and that they're, they're, they have more safety. And I think the way we do that is to find each individual is a little bit different, so find what works for them. There are those who will find that through their spirituality. There are those who will find it through advocacy, through, through working to change laws, whatever. I often find a sense of control or a sense of safety by helping other people, by helping the victims even of, uh, uh, violence or that sort of thing, just on a volunteer basis. So the more we can teach people that they can, that the sense of safety and the sense of control isn't up to the police, it isn't up to the society, but it's up to ourselves individually, and that we can control that to some degree, um, helps to make a much healthier society when you do have these aberrant um, uh, events happen. Wow, yeah. Very, very well said. I think it, it does it does all come down to uh, personal responsibility and personal outlook. And, you know, in, in the face of adversity, we, we all have to do still what we need to do. And, you know, that the R word, Dwayne, resiliency, right? And there are those mm-hmm. people that, that do have it, and there's a lot of people that do not. And look at the even though there was 1,048 victims in uh, the deadliest shootings in 50 years, if we spiral that out to how many family members, friends, that those those uh, people, those events impacted, those 146 events, look at how many people were affected, you know, just just given, given those violent events. So it impacts all of us, and we all need to do, you know, our, our part to try to help Others and what you say about insurance is, is so true. Um, after three months, we just found out that they settled the big dispute between Anthem and Hartford Healthcare, uh, and they were deadlocked. So all things are possible with mediation, and hopefully a lot of people here will 
will now get their insurance back. I just use that as an example, but it's hard to, you know, it's hard to say that it comes down to something like insurance coverage, um, but it really does when mental health overlays so many of these events, you know, um, and it's not just mental health. You may have physical, you may have cognitive issues, you may have other things. It's not just one problem we all have. I see that every day at work, so I know. Um, I think that we have just about run out of time, so I want to invite you all back for another show if you choose to on a, on a topic related to this because we've just scratched the surface, or if you do have other ideas, please do um, get in touch with me. But I want to thank you so much, and I hope that we've at least started the conversation. Do all of you have a, a parting message uh, you'd like to impart briefly before we sign off? Anyone would like to say something um, as an inspiring message to our audience? It can be dealt with. It can be coped with. You are much, much greater than you might think, and you have so much more potential than you might think. So you can wring your hands, but you don't have to. All and right. I would like to – one more thing I'd like to suggest is – Start early and teach self-respect and respect for life to the children. Okay, very good. Anyone else? Or should we, we, we uh, say goodbye for now? Um, I'll be in touch with all of you. Delilah, any party comment? Well, yeah, I, I just think that it's, it's a very difficult world that we live in, but we can't live in fear. We can't be affected by the fear that is, is seen everywhere through every newscast and every event that happens, which just creates even more fear. Um, take a step right. back, take a deep breath, look at things um, objectively and live your life for today. Today is it right now in the now. Uh- yeah, I, I like that. I think that's that's a wonderful thing to, to end on. So I want to thank you again. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Dwayne. You, 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 um, I highly respect your opinions, and thank you for your participation. Let's, let's uh, stay in touch, and hopefully that this show has been valuable for some people and a source of comfort. So with that, we're going to sign off to, for today's show. And uh, thank you, and until the next show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.